0: And I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise His name. Rejoice in this hope
1: I'd like to begin by thanking God this morning for the opportunity of being able to be with you. I want to thank your pastor for giving us this opportunity to be here this morning. And this would be our prayer this morning that... I'm happy my notes didn't fall off this morning, but, uh, but I want to just bring you greetings this morning from the team that I have the opportunity and privilege to work with. And uh, we want to thank God for what he's doing in our midst. In fact, as you were watching that particular video, some of you were possibly wondering why the faces of the girls in the video were blurred. Uh, All of the homes we run are government-licensed homes. Each of these girls have been perpetrated into the sex trade, have been pulled out by the police. We have perpetrators that can kill us if they know where the girls are. There's extreme safety that needs to be maintained. And um, maybe through this service this morning, I'd possibly share just a little more. And if you want to talk with me at the end of the service, I would be most happy to do that. Um, to Just share with you what God is doing in our part of the world. But I want to begin this morning by introducing my family to you. My wife, Mai, um, is from the northeastern part of our country, uh, a, a state called Mizoram. Some of, you, some of you have possibly heard Mizoram. My wife looks very Filipino. My wife looks very Chinese. Uh, my wife is from Mizoram. And for those of you who don't know this, the Mizos are a very, very unique people. But 125 years ago, the gospel of Jesus Christ came to the hills of Mizoram. At that time, the Mizos were animists. They were headhunters. But when the gospel of Jesus came to Mizoram, God moved in the most amazing ways, one million Mizos, turned to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Mizoram is possibly the only place that I know on earth where on Sunday there is nothing else that happens but church. And we want to praise God for His goodness among the Mizo people. We have two daughters. Our older one, Kim Kim, is doing her first year of college right now. And our younger one, Rahel, is in her 11th grade. And we want to thank God for both of these girls. Every time I put up pictures of the girls, I'm a guy who deals with stories all the time. Uh, Stories come to my mind, so I want to tell you a story about my daughters and get moving this morning. Uh, When Kim Kim accepted Jesus, she was only four years old, but from the time she accepted Jesus, she had this passion. She wanted others to know about Jesus. Every day she went to school, she took tracts to give out tracts to her friends. It was a Saturday and Mai had gone out to buy flowers because she did the the flowers in the church. And Kim Kim came to my room as I was studying uh, for my Sunday sermon. And she said, Dad, I think my sister Rahel hasn't accepted Jesus as her savior. And so I think we've got to lead her to Jesus Christ. And so I thought to myself that this was a great opportunity of teaching my daughter a few lessons in life. So we sat together and I said, Kim, this is how it's going to work. We're going to talk to Rahel, but I want you to share your testimony. Tell her how you accepted Jesus. And once you've done that, I'm going to then open the word of God and try and teach her the word. So we went down together. We sat together and Kim with tears in her eyes, passion in her heart, shared the good news of Jesus. I didn't need to do much that day. Rahel was so close to crying, she was ready to give her heart to the Lord. And I had the joy of leading Rahel to Jesus. A few minutes later, Mai came back from the market, rang the doorbell. Kim runs to the door, opens the door, and this is the first thing she tells my wife. She said, Mama, now we can all die. And and Mai is taken aback. She's saying to herself, now what kind of a strange reception is this coming back home? Mama, now we can all die. And then Kim tells Mai... Rahel just accepted Jesus, Mama. Now, we are ready to die. Because if we die, we would be with Jesus forever and ever. What an assurance, what a hope we have in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name be praised. Um, I want to begin this morning by by challenging you to consider partnerships. You're Thinking about missions. And uh, my whole journey this morning is going to be a celebration of what partnerships can do. It's amazing that the church in Hong Kong, the church in Canada, the church in New Zealand, the church in Australia are able to impact the church around the world. If you don't believe me, listen to this story. About nine years ago, I used to pastor the church that was established by Dr. William Carey, the Carey Baptist Church. And having pastored the church for several years, my wife and I decided that it was time for us to move out of the church. And so we moved out and moved to a new part of the city where there were hardly any churches. When we moved to that part of the city, there were times I would get up in the night and I would ask myself, did I do the right thing? I've got my family out of a setup where we got a salary, where we worked, and now we are all by ourselves in the city. Did I do the right thing? At that particular point in life, our two daughters needed a Hindi tutor. They're studying the language of Hindi. They needed a Hindi tutor. We're in a new area. And so I begin to look around and I meet this lady by the name of Mrs. Agarwal. Sashi Agarwal is her name. Her house is packed with idols. Every space has got an idol. She comes from a very wealthy Marwadi home. For those of you who know India, Marwadis, there are very few Marwadis who have come to Jesus Christ. So I walk into this house filled with idols, but I meet this most amazing lady who begins the journey of teaching my children Hindi. And every opportunity I get, I want to talk to her about the love of Jesus Christ. One day I'm in her house looking at the pictures on the wall and I'm saying to her, who are these? And she says, that's my daughter, that's my son. His name is Manas. He lives in New Zealand. And so I begin to talk to her about New Zealand and the friends I have in New Zealand. And just as I leave, she tells me, my son wants me to join him in New Zealand. And I plead with her saying, ma'am, don't go to New Zealand because you've got to teach my children. Couple of days later, I go back to drop my daughters, and Mrs. Agarwal says, Listen, I need to talk something really important with you. And my heart almost missed a beat. I was saying to myself, This lady is going to go away to New Zealand. But she said, You know what? After I finish the tuitions with your daughters, I want to talk to you. So at the end of the tuitions, I'm talking to the lady, and this is what she said. She said, I talked to my son yesterday, and I said, I'm teaching two girls, and their father is a pastor. And the moment my son heard that you are a pastor, my son said, if he is a pastor, then he is God's messenger in our home. I'm saying to myself, now that's really strange. How can I be God's messenger in this Hindu home? And then the lady said, just hang on. She ran down to her computer and she brought a post-it note. She said, I forgot what my son said, so I had to write it down so that I don't forget it again. On that post-it note were written Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Now, thankfully, that was one of my favorite passages in the scripture, so I knew it by heart. The lady was saying, what is Isaiah? What is 40? What is 28? What is 31? She had no clue. By this time, I knew that God was possibly working in her son Manas's life. So I said to her, ma'am, will you please give me your son's email address? I want to write to him. She says, no, no, you give me your email address. My son will write to you. Give him my email address. Two days later, I got the most beautiful email. When Manas went to New Zealand, Salvation Army reached out to him with the good news of Jesus Christ. He accepted Jesus as his savior. For six months, he shared Jesus with Preeti, his beautiful wife. Preeti comes from an extremely rigid Hindu home and resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of six months, Preeti submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. For two and a half years, the church they went in New Zealand, every Sunday when they got together, they said, Lord... Manas and Preeti have come to your saving grace. Mrs. Agarwal has not accepted Jesus as Savior. Will you please take somebody to that house to be able to share Jesus with her? Two and a half years after that day, Mrs. Agarwal came to Jesus Christ, accepted him as Lord and Savior, and I had the privilege of baptizing her. You know how amazing it is? A church in New Zealand prays and Mrs. Agarwal in India gets saved. The, the incredible power of partnership. And so this morning, like I said, I want, us, I want us to journey in this celebration of partnership. But before I do that, I must say some things about the great country that I am, I am from. Born and raised in this incredible nation, the nation of India. I think India is very unique. India is a miracle, considering some of the statistics that you see, 4,000 people groups, 1,652 languages, the world's youngest nation. You know, the the thing that actually uh, shocks people, when I go to Canada, I tell people this often, Uh, India is, according to the statistics, 3% Christian. But did you know that 3% of India is greater than the population of Canada? So there are more Indian Christians than there are Canadians. Wow. So I always tell my Canadian friends, you, get a, you better treat me well now. Because in heaven there's going to be a lot of us. <laughs> but, but just stop and take a look at it. I mean, that's the incredible nation where God has called us to minister. And add to that the fact that God's called us to minister in this area called West Bengal among the Bengali people who are the single largest unreached ethnic people group in the world. When you add Bangladesh and West Bengal together, that's 240 million Bengalis, less than a percent who know the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your savior and Lord. And we want to thank God that he called us to minister in this region 17 years ago, when the girls were a lot smaller, Uh, Kim Kim was two years old and Rahel was a couple of months old. My wife and I felt God calling us to pack the dreams of our life, pastoring a church in the city of Bangalore and move out in faith to the city of Kolkata. Not knowing language, not knowing one person, we packed our bags and moved to a new environment. The first two years, I had malaria nine times. Within the first two years, we almost lost both our daughters to terrible sicknesses. Struggled because we did not know the language. Struggled because my dad and mom were a 55-hour train journey away from where we were. Struggled because we knew nobody in this, what was almost like a foreign land to us. And yet as we look back on these 17 years, one of the things that we are grateful to God every day is that God gave grace that we moved out of our comfort zone to the place he wanted us to go to. And this morning I want to challenge you to do the same. To be at the place where God wants you to be. Like I said, this is a celebration of partnerships and this is about stories. So I'm going to tell you a few stories and then I'm going to bring everything into context with God's word and be be through. The man and the woman on this picture are very special people. It all happened on a transport bus in West Bengal. On a transport bus as one of our missionaries was journeying on the bus, beside him sat a man with a long beard. ...who looked very unfriendly. God began to tug the heart of our missionary saying, you've got to share Jesus with this man. The missionary gave him two or three looks and said, but Lord, he looks like a very unfriendly sort of a guy. I don't know if he'll do me bodily harm. God said, no, 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 you've got to share me with this guy. So after much struggle, the missionary reached into his bag, pulled out a tract and gave it to the man. The man just stoically read the tract as the bus journeyed along, closed the track, began to ask questions. The missionary could not answer his questions because these were questions of an intelligent man. So he brought him along and introduced him to one of our staff workers who journeyed with him for six months and at the end of six months the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus Christ, no turning back in my life. And then as he stood there he said, I want to also tell you this, my name is Abul Kalam Azad I am the teacher of the Sajjahan Mosque right here in Kolkata. Abul's parents had no, no children. And so they prayed for many years that God would give them a son. And Allah in his good, goodness to this family blessed them with Abul. When he was eight years old, his parents took him to a madrasa, put him in the madrasa saying, God gave, we want to give you back to God. By the age of 12, Abul learned the Quran, back to front, front to back. Abul knows the hadith. Abul was a teacher of Islam in several mosques but here now was this man that returned his life to Jesus Christ. Once he gave his life to Jesus, Abul went through unprecedented persecution but through all of that persecution he walked a walk of faithfulness with Jesus Christ. Abul alone has baptized close to 400 Muslims that have found meaning in Jesus. A couple of years ago I was sharing Abul's story His passion unmistakable to reach Muslims who've never heard the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And at that time, one of the things that Abul was doing is every week he was challenging these new Muslim believers to give him small amounts of money because he wanted to buy a van so that he'd be able to take that van to the unreached Muslim fields to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. So here I was just sharing this great story about Abul with a friend of mine when this friend said, you know what, now that's something I can do. How much money does Abul have? I'll give you the rest of the money, buy him the van. It was just a very small act of partnership that happened two years ago. I was with Abul about three weeks ago. That van has gone to 55 Muslim villages which otherwise would have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Just a small partnership has incredible benefits when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, all I have in my hands are the five loaves and two fish, but I want to hand them over to you, O oh God. You take, you multiply, may many people be touched and blessed. One of the good things about JK Pierce's ministry is that of the 358 churches that are part of our work, 56 of them are churches with just Muslim background believers. His name be praised. Let me journey on, tell you another story. This is the lady that you must meet. In fact, when when I came in this morning, I said to Becky, your pastor talked about uh, our work among uh, victims of trafficking. Now this is the lady you must meet and I'm going to actually tell you two stories. I hope stories are okay by you. Okay, um, her name is Smitha. In fact, that was not my intention, but when your pastor said I need to speak a little more about aftercare, I need to tell you her story. Her name is Smitha. This particular slide is not to tell you the story of Smitha, it's to tell you the story of Janine, because we're talking about partnerships. But let me tell you the story of Smitha. Smitha worked with International Justice Mission, which some of you possibly know, for about five and a half years before she started to work for our team. Where did it all begin with Smitha? Smitha is an extremely qualified counselor could work in any setup in the city of Kolkata, could earn a lot of money working as a council. But about six or seven years ago, Smitha was called by the police to be an independent witness when a few girls were going to be rescued. This was an orchestrated rescue. The police had asked men to bring in minor girls, and they were going to exchange hands, and then they were going to arrest them, and they needed an independent witness there who would testify in court. So here was Smitha in the room with the police and all of a sudden there's activity men are walking into the room leading children some as young as 11 years old and as smitha turns around and looks at these children the men moving around her heart's missing many beats the police swoop in and they begin to arrest the men and as they begin to arrest the men one of the young girls begins to cry and plead with the police. She says, sir, I beg you, please don't beat my father. I beg you, sir, don't beat my father. And the father turns around to the girl, looks her squarely in the face and says, I don't know who you are. Who are you? And in that one moment, she turns around the room. There is nobody for hope except for Smitha. She holds Smitha's hands with tears in her eyes. And she says, Didi, which means older sister. She says, Didi, I can accept my father selling me. But I can't accept the fact that he says he does not know who I am. I can't accept the fact that he says he does not know who I am. And standing right there, Smitha said, for the rest of my life, oh God, the one place I want to be is in that place where I can bring hope and healing to those that are broken without hope in Jesus Christ. Into that work, we constantly have people that walk in from different parts of the world to partner with us in bringing healing to broken people. This young lady, her name is Janine Franklin, came down from Canada. And when Janine came along, she was this educator which had so many ideas in her mind. One of the first things she said to me is, can I take a few photographs in the home? And I said, no, no, no photographs. And she said, you know what, I've got to talk to you about something. And usually, I'm a guy that doesn't listen really well when I'm running around doing different things. She said, no, no, I've got to talk to you about these photographs. And I said, Janine, please talk to Smitha." As far as I know, no photographs. She says, no, 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 hang on. I just got to tell you something. And I said, okay, what's this about? She said, I'm going to go to the home, and I'm going to ask the girls if they like a particular part of their body. Maybe their ear." maybe their hair, maybe their eye, and I'm going to photograph only that part of their body. And then what I'll do is I'll ask the girls to write a few lines about that part of their body, and I'll create a book. And I'll give it back so the girls can flip through the book and say, hey, there's your nose, hey, there's your ears. I thought it was a great idea. So we said, okay, let's do it. So she goes down to the home. She's going through this exercise, and on that day, there's a 12-year-old that's been brought in just by the police, just a few hours before Janine goes to the home. This is a story of a girl that was trafficked by her own father and her brother. And so here is Janine with Smitha. They're talking with these different girls, and they come to this little girl, and they say, which part of your body do you like? And she looks at them saying, which universe, which part of the universe do you come from? (laughs) You know, it's, it's strange that you would even ask me which part of my body I like, considering all that has happened to me. Considering the fact that my own father sold me, considering the fact that my own brother sold me, considering the fact that I've been raped by so many men, how dare you ask me which part of your body you like? And so Janine and Smitha said to the little girl, why don't you think about it? And they moved on to the others, when all of a sudden she burst at them and she said, I know which part of my body I like. They turned all their attention to her, and the little girl said, I like my heart. I like my heart because even when the men did all those terrible things to me my heart consistently said this is not right this is not right this is not right and to me that's been one of the most powerful stories that I live to tell that that little girl ravaged by almost 40 men in a day for the first few days in a brothel just broken down her will shattered deep down within her the Holy Spirit will still say This is not right. That's not the way it is meant to be. I have hope for you. His name be praised. And you know something? I would never have lived to tell that story had it not been for partnership. Had it not been for a young person just like you who said, you know what? I've saved my money. I've heard the story. I want to go. I want to touch. I want to see. I want to be involved. And out of that partnership came an amazing story, which I have the privilege of telling as I journey around the world. This story is again to me in many ways an incredible story. A story of two men so different from one another, just as their pictures portray one short and one a little taller. But when you begin to journey deeper in their lives, their story is radically different. The older of the two, his name is Ashok Chakrabarty. And if you're living in a part of the world where I live, the moment you say the name chakrabarti, everybody knows that a chakrabarti is a Brahmin. For a country that is ridden by the caste system, the Brahmins are the highest caste. They are the priestly class. There is none in the realms in which they exist. And so often, the Brahmins will have nothing to do with the low caste and those that they call scheduled caste and scheduled tribe. By the grace of Jesus Christ, Ashok Chakrabarti came to the saving grace of the Lord. Once he came to the saving grace of the Lord, he began to journey the streets of his village sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people. And as he began to share Jesus Christ with people, one day he met this young man. His name is Nepal Malik. What is Nepal Malik's story? The moment you hear the name Malik, people will tell you the Maliks are the lowest of the low. Can't get any lower than that. They come from a community called the domes. The domes are found only in two places. One, the domes are found in mortuaries because they deal with dead bodies. Two, the domes are found scavenging. That's the only two places where you'll find a person from a dome background. But here is this Brahmin who now has new meaning in Jesus Christ, who can't contain the love of Jesus Christ anymore. He shares the love of Jesus Christ with Nepal, and Nepal comes to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now the story doesn't end there. One day I'm sitting with a group of my friends and talking about this incredible story. When one of my friends says, you know what Ashok, I think it would be really neat for us to put a small church in this village. So I turn around to Nepal and and, and, uh, Ashok and I say to them, hey guys, do you think we can put a small church in your village? Nepal's eyes brighten up. His heart rejoices. He says, you know what, I'm going to call my mother right now. I have a portion of land that is mine, the inheritance of my family. I'm prepared to donate it back if somebody can build a church. He calls his mother, gets the permission. The next day the land is registered and we put on this church building, which I had the privilege of going and opening. But you know something about this church? Every single day, there's a Brahmin and a dome that work together in that church. And for their entire village, that's the most crazy thing. That can happen. That a Brahmin and a dome would do communion together. That the Brahmin and the dome will pray for people together. That the Brahmin and the dome would share the love of Jesus Christ with people. That the Brahmin and the dome would put their arms around one another as they walk down the streets. And you know what? Our partnership is done. It's put a little lighthouse. It put a little lighthouse in that dark village. Sharing the hope. Of Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Just one more story before I get into the context of what I want to share with you. This is an in- interesting story. It's a story about a man called Bob Chu. Bob used to be a doctor in the Assemblies of God Church Hospital in Calcutta. His wife Liz was a nurse. But during their years of working at the Assemblies of God Hospital, they dreamed of going away to another part of the world, and so one day they packed their bags and moved off to Canada. They now live in Canada, they worship in in what is possibly the biggest Chinese church anywhere in North America. It's called the Richmond Hill Chinese Christian Community Church, a membership of close to about five and a half thousand Chinese people, led by Dr. Sam, just a great church. But this couple, ever since they went down to Canada, could never take their passion for India out of their mind. And you know what they do every single year? They lead two groups of people, often 14 people, 15 people, twice every year. They come down for two whole weeks and they work with us in the city of Kolkata. What do they do? Some of the men teach the Bible. Others go out and do medical camps with us, dental camps with us. And you know what it's done? It's opened new villages that otherwise would have never heard of the love of Jesus Christ to know about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. At this particular point I want us to stop for a moment and ask ourselves what's your story? Do you have a story to tell? We've just talked about partnership stories. We've talked about how ordinary people like you partnered with somebody maybe in the Philippines Or maybe somebody in China, or maybe somebody in India, maybe somebody in Laos, maybe somebody in Cambodia. And as a result, you've got a story to tell. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your story? And maybe some of you are saying, hey, you know what, I don't have a story. I want to suggest that before your life passes through, may you have that story to tell. And maybe some of you are saying, you know what, I want to tell that story, but I'm nervous. You think I can do it? Now, this message is just for you. You can do it. Now, this is where I want to bring context from the Word of God. I want to put before you two verses, very simple verses, and I want to teach you three lessons from God's Word, and we are finished for this morning. The first verse is this. The reason I put this verse is that I like it. You know, the Bible says in the book of James, chapter 5, and verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. Now, that's the part I like. That's the part I like. He was a man just like me. He was a man just like you. The Bible is saying about this man that Elijah was a man just like you and me. What does that mean? It means that he was just like you and me. That's what it means. I think sometimes we try and complicate the scriptures. This is pretty simple. He was just like you and me and he prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and it rained. So, I begin to study the life of Elijah and I go down to this particular verse in the the context of 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Would you please read this verse with me, please? Read it from the PowerPoint, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Let's read it together. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishb in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now when you read that verse almost immediately you have all kinds of thoughts bouncing at you from that particular verse. Here are just three of them that I want to share with you. Number one Elijah was a man who was always conscious of the reality of God. Look at what he says as he stands before Ahab he says as the Lord The God of Israel lives. One of the first keys to being effective in anything you do, and especially in missions, is to know the reality of your God you remember the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 33? In Exodus chapter 32, the children of Israel have sinned with the golden calf. You know, Moses is up there on Mount Sinai. He's spending 40 days and 40 nights in in the presence of God. And the children of Israel have sinned with the golden calf. And God says, Moses, go down. These people that you brought, this hard-hearted people, I'm not going to go with them anymore. God says to Moses, I will send an angel with you, Moses, but I'm not going to go with you. And you know what happens in chapter 33. Moses kneels down before God and says, God, if you don't go, I will not move. Please, God, come along. And so God answers Moses and says, Moses, I'll go with you. And one would think that Moses is going to be very happy. Now he's going to clap his hands and do a praise and worship song and say, God, I'm so grateful that you're going to go with me. But Moses at that point says, God, I've got one more request to make. And now he asks a very daring request, considering the fact that any man shall see God will die. He says, can I see your glory? And I often wondered why. You know, God had already answered all of the prayers of Moses. Everything that Moses asked, God said, Moses, done, done, done. And one would think Moses should say, thank you, God, everything's done. Go back and lead the the people of Israel. But at that point, Moses stops and says, God, please show me your glory. And as you begin to think about it deeply, Moses got it right. Because you know what? Even though God said, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. It's not easy to go up and pick up the pieces of your life and work on Monday. You know, the the word of God is full of promises, right? Full of promises. And I can rattle off all of those promises to you. But that wouldn't change a thing. Because when you look at your problems tomorrow, you're saying, God, I know those promises. But if only I can see you, then I'm able to go and pick up the pieces of my life. You asked me how we can work with the girls that are in the Mahima movement of homes. The only way we can do that is to kneel down before God and say, God, before we go out to work, would you please show us a glimpse of who you are? And when I see who he is, then the girls in Mahima are a small problem. You know, you look at the numbers of India, just staggering. If you were to sit down here and try to do the maths of saving this country, you will go crazy in the next few seconds. But if you would stop this morning and say, God, show me who you are, what do you see? You see the one that created the whole universe. You see the one that holds every life in his hands. You see the one who knows the end before it all began. You see the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it's in seeing his glory that you can go out and pick up the pieces of your life. And that's why Moses says, God, would you please show me your glory? And one of the struggles that I find with the church of Jesus Christ is that so often the church of Jesus Christ fails to recognize who their God is. He is great, big, awesome, wonderful King of kings and Lord of lords. The one to whom nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. And so here is Elijah, he stands before Ahab in a really difficult time and he says, You know something Ahab, the first thing I want to remind you, I know the reality of my God. He lives, he walks with me, he talks with me, he dwells with me, he is king of kings and lord of lords. When I said he walks with me, I remembered a funny story. Seems a Sunday school teacher asked her class, Does anybody know the name of God? And everybody was quiet. Until one boy put up his hand and said, yes, I know the name of God. What's his name? His name is Andy. And the teacher was taken aback. How, where do you find that? You know that song, Andy walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own, you know. Um, but this morning, I want to tell you something. Our God is real. He's powerful. He walks with me. He talks. Down to the city of Delhi. Uh, I was in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a pastor's conference. when all of a sudden, these two guys with turbans walked into the meeting. <clears throat> and I'm saying to myself, maybe they came to the wrong place. But, but as people begin to sing, these two turbinators put up their hands and they are just worshipping the Lord. And you know, I was trying to put my the the hair of my body down that day because I haven't seen too many Sikhs worshipping the Lord. So I met them at the end of the service and they took me off to a service in Delhi. It was a small room that had about 200 people, about 100 of them wore turbans and they were all praising the Lord. And so I had the most awesome evening among these turbaned Sikhs, just sharing the good news of Jesus. At the end of the meeting, they were serving a meal for everybody. Bad sign for a person who's involved with missions. Because you're saying to yourself, if you serve meals in India, you'll get a crowd anyway. Second thing you're saying to yourself, if you're serving meals to people, people have money. Otherwise you can't serve meals to people. So at the end of the meeting, these two brothers talk to me and they say, sir, we'd like you to work with us in partnership. And I said, no, 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 hang on. You guys have enough money. You're serving people, meals. This is a great ministry. I'm going to keep you in prayer. They said, hang on. And they introduced this man to me. His name is Ashok Jain. This man was sick for eight years. One morning when these two brothers, Jaswant and Jasbir Singh, were praying in the morning, God spoke to them in an unmistakable way. And God said, I want you to go down to this house in Delhi. And they said, but God, we don't know anybody in that house. God said, I want you to go. So they came down to the house. They rang the doorbell. A lady came to the door and they said, ma'am, we've come here to pray for somebody. And the lady just took them in to the bedside of this man who hadn't walked for eight years. He had a paralytic stroke and hadn't walked for eight years. The two brothers knelt down on either side of his bed and they prayed for him. And he says, I got up and began to walk after eight years he has a store in Delhi he emptied the store and he said to these brothers anytime you want to have a meeting meet right here and at the end of every meeting my wife and I will give you a meal for those who come and as I stood there that day hearing this story I came away saying you know the guys on the ground they see the reality of God all the time and this morning I want to ask you church is this God that we're talking about just a bunch of words from the Bible or is he real? I want to tell you this in my own life. This book became meaningful after I got involved in missions. If you're not involved in missions, this book is a textbook. But when you begin to read this book and you walk down the streets, touching the lives of people, you know something, every story in this book is real. I see John Ford lived out every day in my ministry. I see people like Nicodemus finding Jesus Christ all the time in my ministry. I see him stilling the waves and the winds. I see people who are blind that now can see. I see people like Ashok who was lame, who gets up and walk again. The word of God is true and real. When you walk the streets, touch the lives of people, see their lives transformed forever and ever, his name be praised. But the challenge that comes to the church this morning is Are you aware of the reality of God? Do you as a church this morning needs to come and say, God, would you please show us your glory again? Show us who you are. Because when we see who you are, oh God, the challenge of Hong Kong will become pretty small and the challenges of the world will become small as well. A second challenge that I want to bring to you from God's word Elijah not only knew the reality of God, he knew that he was a representative of God. Listen to what he says to Ahab. He says, whom I serve. You know, I not only know who God is, I also want to tell you that I serve a risen Savior. The reason I put up this story is because this is an alliance church. And I thought you might like to hear a story about an alliance work. The man in this particular picture, his name is Romario. Romario is from Brazil. Romario and his wife Jacqueline began to pray for 15 years for India. They prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for India and after 15 years they landed up in Kolkata. They didn't know a word of English. They didn't know a word of Bengali. They only spoke their language. They knew the language of love and they knew the language of football. I remember my first few meetings with Romario. It was most of the time But we were able to communicate, it was amazing. It was amazing, Romario will tell you if you meet him, that man knew everything I was saying, I don't know how. But I knew everything he was saying and he knew everything I was saying. So we set him up with a football school and that football school has resulted in one of the most explosive ministries in the context of Kolkata. Those five young men on that particular slide were young men that I had the privilege of baptizing, there are four of them and there's one missing in that slide. These five were the first fruits of Romario's work. And as a result of that particular work, today there's a church in a place called Sonarpur with more than 150 first-generation Hindu converts who've come to Jesus Christ. They have a children's ministry of over 400 people. You know why? Because one alliance guy out there in Brazil can't speak any English, can't speak any Bengali, but says, you know what? I'm the representative of the king. And I feel I've got to go to India. And he landed up in India and he turned India the right side up. It's amazing. When you and I recognize who we are, representatives of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That brings me to the last thought this morning. Elijah was a man who knew the resources he had with God. Why do I say that? You know what Elijah says to Ahab? There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except my word. How did he say that? What, what, what gave him the, the authority to say that? You know what gave him the authority to say that? Go back and read the book of Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 19. In Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 19, God says, When my children will disobey me, I will shut out the heavens. So you know what Elijah did? He said, God, your word says that you'll shut out the heavens. Right now your children are doing all kinds of sin- sinful things. God shut the heavens and God did shut the heavens. So Elijah stood on the resource of the word of God and the resource of prayer. And one of the things that I find amazing as I work in pioneer evangelism is the incredible resource, the word of God and of prayer. I'll never forget I walked into a Muslim church. There were about 19 men in the church. They had only one Kitabul Mukadis in their language. And it was such an animated meeting. They were all pulling because they wanted to read portions. Of the word of God. And I think it's a shame that in my home we have every version that you can imagine. And then you turn on your your computer programs and you you have the Greek, the Hebrew, every single version. And the sad thing is some of us don't even read the word. And the resource of prayer. What can I say about prayer? I work with men who would fast and pray till things happen. This is a true story of a man called Narayan Paul. Narayan used to work with JKPS, but as he worked with JKPS, God gave him this unmistakable desire to work among a people called the Swaras. The Swaras at that time were an unreached people group. And so one day, Narayan packed up all of his bags, and he said, I'm going off to the Swara people. And the people in JKPS couldn't understand because Narayan was a great worker. We wanted him to work in Bengal, but he said, no, 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 God is calling me to work among the Swaras. He went off to the Swara tribes. 14 years he worked among the swaras not one swara came to jesus christ he learned the language he learned to sing like the swaras he learned to dance like the swaras he did everything that the swaras did he lived among them 14 years not one swara came to jesus christ but on the 15th year fifteen thousand swaras turned to jesus i've been at baptism services where there are 700 people in line waiting for a baptism. All started with one man hearing unmistakably the voice of God, relying upon nothing other than the word of truth and his communion with the Father, walking out to the Swara tribes. Today, tribe after tribe of Swara people finding meaning in Jesus Christ. I am through this morning. But I want to leave you with a question. What's your story? What's your story? Amen.